Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, words written so long ago to a particular church and to particular people, and yet that have applied to every single church down through the centuries and will until you come back. Will you cause your Holy Spirit to teach us and to apply this to uh, our individual lives and to our church? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. Now, I don't believe in giving uh, disclaimers before I preach a sermon. And this is not a disclaimer, but it is a clarification, Uh, especially for those of you that are visiting with us today or maybe have uh, joined us uh, by live stream and maybe don't know me or us Uh, well as of yet. Uh, The majority of Sundays here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian, we are going uh, straight through books of the Bible. And that's what we are doing right now as we go through the book of uh, Philippians. The wonderful thing about preaching that way, and it's always been a, a comfort to me and an encouragement, is that that then you hit Subjects that maybe you would avoid otherwise because you didn't have the courage for it or that maybe applies a little bit too closely and you think, I could never preach that except it's the next passage, so uh, I will preach it because of that. And uh, eventually you hit the subjects that God wants you to hit as you preach straight through uh, books of the Bible. Well, today we're on a passage where uh, we are talking about believers in conflict. And I just want to clarify that uh, we as a church are not in any particular conflict. Uh, There aren't a bunch of individuals that are having conflicts that, that I am aware of. 
God has given us a very uh, wonderful season, and it's been a long season, uh, years of real unity and just a great spirit uh, in our congregation. We are really blessed that way, but that is all the more reason why we have to know that the evil one doesn't like that. And he thrives on conflict. He thrives on disunity. And so, these kinds of passages that, that give us instructions of how to deal with those kinds of things when they come, we need to be equipped even in times of peace, maybe especially during these times. So we're going to look at this passage, and I'm going to give you uh, two points. It's a very brief passage, two points and an application, but there's a lot of applications all the way through these verses. Uh, The first thing that I I want us to see is that, that we are to be loving and straightforward with other believers. Loving and straightforward with other believers. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, Paul starts here by expressing his love toward them. Uh, He's about to tell them something that's difficult. But notice he says, therefore, and so it's basing it on that which uh, came before, and it's the whole of this book, everything that came before, but specifically what we looked at last week, the immediate context is uh, speaking about where our citizenship is and, and how we are to uh, ultimately how, uh, forget those things, leave those things behind that we should, and press on toward Uh, knowing Christ. So that's, uh, but then this transitions into something difficult that he knows he has to say, but he starts by telling them again of his love for them. He is passionate though that they need to resolve this conflict. Uh, He repeats the word I entreat you. He says, I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche. Um, That word basically is, uh, I, I exhort you, I implore you, or I beg you. So in, in essence, he's, he's coming on bended knee saying, look, You've got to work this thing out. I'm begging you to work out what's going on. Now, I want you to think uh, just for a moment about how uh, many folks tend to deal with issues when they come up. See if you see yourself at all in this description. A lot of folks like to suppress or ignore the issues. Act like something, well, okay, well, it didn't happen. We'll just move on from here. And then they, they stuff it and they don't deal with it. 
That's a very common uh, way of dealing with issues. Now, I want to make it very clear that there is a time to overlook minor offenses. We don't have to confront every little thing that, that takes place. It's the old idea of, of choosing our battles. If you've raised children, especially if you raise more than one, you know that by the second one, at least, or later in the first one, you are acknowledging, you know what, I can't fight every battle. I got I to choose my battles, uh, and uh, I, I, I just can't, because otherwise you wouldn't be doing anything else. Uh, and it's the same in marriage. Connie and I yesterday uh, had our 45th anniversary. Don't ask me what we did. We haven't done anything yet, but we, we will. Uh, I promise, Connie, we will do. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about that in, in this context, and, uh, you know, if, if she had confronted every time I had irritated her, we would have had like 40 years of conflict, I'm sure, out of those uh, 45. And, and I might be a little optimistic by saying it that way. But you just don't do that in marriage, do you? you especially the, the minor things that... that and, and there is a, a time for that. Asking the question, you know, is this going to matter tomorrow or in a week or six weeks or, you know? And, and that sometimes helps to discern, is this the thing that we really need to be uh, in a, a battle over? There's a time to let love cover the matter. But I want to caution you that you don't use that as an excuse to not deal with a serious offense. Because to overlook a serious offense is not loving toward the person or healthy for you or the church. So what is the biblical way of dealing with conflicts like that? Well, to face up to it, deal with it. Now I know what some of you are thinking because I've had people say this to me throughout my ministry, uh, these uh, statements in various forms. I've heard it said, well, you know, that's not really how we do that in the South. <laughs> and uh, in their more honest moments, they say, we don't, we don't really do that. Now, we might go around and talk behind everybody's back, but, but we're, you know, we, we don't hit things. That's just not our, our culture. Or you might have been in a, a, a family that that was not the way you, you deal with things. You know, we just, we just don't. We just let things go. Um, yeah, we stuff it all inside, and it comes out in other ways, but, but you know, we don't have real conflicts. Or you might say something like, well, that's just not my personality. I heard the term this week, and it wasn't from anybody uh, in our church, so don't try to figure out who I was talking to, but I heard the term this week that uh, my personality is I am uh, conflict adverse. Well, I think most people are. Some people love conflict, but most people are like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to uh, get into 
this kind of a conflict. But for you who are believers, we all need to be reminded that if you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And that is bigger than the culture we live in. It is above our culture. It is bigger than the way you were raised. It is bigger than your personality. And we must never use any of those things as an excuse to not obey what God has told us to do in his word. So notice, Paul is both loving, but he's also straightforward. It's clear that he is indicating they're believers, uh, and it's, it's likely that they were uh, either leaders or at least high profile in the church, so much so that, that he must have been concerned uh, that uh, it, their continued conflict could cause a split in the church or at the very least, hinder uh, ministry from going forward if it's not resolved. That's why he called them out publicly. Now think about what actually happened here. Imagine for a moment, this letter's being read to the church. It would be like me getting up here, not telling you what the sermon is about, and I start preaching and you're all kind of going, okay, he's giving us some theology and stuff like that. And then I said, Mark, I beg you, work this out with Jason. (laughs) Jason, I beg you, work this out with Mark. How awkward would that have been, huh? Now, I told them I was going to do that, and, and to my knowledge, even though they're on different sides of the church, they're, they're, <laughs> there's no conflict going on. But I want to illustrate, imagine Yodi and Syntyche are there, and they are saying amen, maybe even to the other parts of the letter, and then all of a sudden they hear their names. Yodia, I beg you, Syntyche. Agree in the Lord. Work this out. How awkward. How hard would that have been to hear? And by the way, this is just another one of my little theories I can't prove. But I think Paul, in this singular passage, ruined those two names from ever being used on our daughters, right? <laughs> Do you know any Yodis or Syntyches? I've never met one. I don't expect to. So let me, let me throw one more thing at you in terms of this being straightforward. And, uh, and I also want to give a clarification that this has happened to me, but not very often. And that is in terms of being straightforward, the, an anonymous letter. I have received some in, in my ministry. Not many. Some pastors get them all the time. But let me tell you what happens with anonymous letters. First of all, I don't know they're anonymous usually till I get to the end. But then they go in the trash can. Now here's the reason. Not that they might not have something to say, but 
that kind of an action is what I call sub-Christian. That's not how believers treat one another. It's cowardly, isn't it? And so, you know, put your name on there. Let's have that, that conversation. It's okay. And when we respond to things, when we can respond to things, typically we begin with, we appreciate you speaking to us on this. The idea of being loving and straightforward. The second aspect here is uh, that differences will happen even among true servants of God. Uh, Verse 2, he says, agree in the Lord. He wouldn't have used that kind of a phrase if uh, Yodi and Syntyche weren't believers. He wouldn't have appealed to their relationship in the Lord, that they're both in the Lord. And then in verse 3, he says, help these women, and then he describes them, and this is a very wonderful description, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. He calls them fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's, he's saying these are believers. The only other place I know of in Scripture where it talks about the book of life is in the book of Revelation. That's a big deal for him to proclaim that. So he, he wants it clear to everybody, look, these are, these are sisters in the Lord. But that's the point as well. So what kind of disagreement is he talking about? It doesn't seem to be the kind of disagreement where one person or one group is right and the other one is wrong. He addressed things like that freely and right up front. He talked to them about their manner of life that they were to live. Uh, And then also in Philippians 3, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. He made it clear that when it comes to the gospel and living a life consistent with that, that's a time for conflict. That's where you take your stand. Our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America, was formed in 1973 over those issues of the gospel. They felt they had to come away and take a stand. Some of you were here in our church at that time. There is a time to do so. And there's a personal time to do so. But here in his admonishment of Yodi and Syntyche, it seems like a different kind of conflict. It, it seems to be where there's a dispute, but it's not necessarily, he's not taking a side here, is he? He doesn't correct one and just call out one. He calls them both out. So what do I mean when I say it's not necessarily a right or wrong thing? Well, there are issues that, that we typically would call disputable matters that real believers can be on different sides of the issue and they can both be right with the Lord. But the key is to not declare one right or wrong, but help them figure out 
how to treat one another, how to get through this. And that's what he's doing. Now, back in uh, Romans 14, he has a chapter where he talks about disputable matters. I want to read some verses from that because it, it, it helps us understand that not only are there those kinds of matters, but there is a way that we can treat one another when those matters come up. In Romans 14, uh, verse 1, he says, As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There it is. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. He's talking about a, a diet. One's convicted, I need to eat only this, and another says, no, we can eat whatever we want, and so on. But here's what he says when that issue came up. And it's just an example. It's not the only time. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Then he says later, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He's saying brotherly love, that's how we get through this. So what do we, what do we mean? What are some examples of disputable matters? Well, one might be um, political views, okay? I'm not talking about a biblical issue, but political opinions, uh, I had a, a professor in seminary that, that said, uh, you know, some people say never argue over politics or religion. And then he paused and he said, what else is worth arguing over? <laughs> and he was just acknowledging, though, you know, there can be deep passions with, with that. And, and certainly in terms of uh, uh, polit- political views, but there can also be real, true believers on both sides of many of these issues. Another one, and this is unique to churches, and it kind of uh, comes and goes, and some churches face it, and others, others uh, don't face it quite as much. But um, if you've been around the church for any length of time, it would be worship styles. You know, the... Contemporary music versus traditional music. In uh, my previous church, uh, we had two services, and we determined, and I wouldn't recommend this for many churches. It worked for us, but we, we had to work hard at this. We had one service that was more contemporary and one that was more traditional was the way things were described. But, but here's how we had to work at it. Uh, before we went to those and often during that, we, we talked about be careful how you talk about people in the other service or you make implications about them. For instance, if you go to the, the traditional, don't say, yes, I go to the service where we have reverence for God. Or if you're in the contemporary, don't say, yeah, I go to the service where Jesus is alive and the Spirit's moving. And, you know, what's the implication? Well, the, 
there isn't reverence in that one and there, the spirit's not moving. And, and I, I just cautioned, we mustn't ever let those kinds of things come out of our mouth. And, and, and we got through it. But that's the kind of thing that I would put in the category of a disputable uh, matter. How believers disagree over those things is the key. A.W. Tozer in, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, you know, if, if our whole goal is let's just have unity and, and let's just all, all get along, then you've got to figure out, well, how, how are we going to compromise on things that we really feel deeply about and so on? And he said, no, instead of that, you, you, everybody look at Christ and these other things work out. That's where the unity comes from. One more uh, musical illustration, and that, it, that it's not unison that we are looking for. Not everyone singing, living, or uh, believing the exact same note. It is harmony we're looking for, which is more beautiful even than unison. Different notes that fit together because they're tuned to Christ first and foremost. So Paul, back in Romans 14 again, said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In his first public message. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now there's likely a whole lot more in that than just talking about peace between people, but there's not less than that in there. It does include that. In our church's statement, Vision 2022, here's what we say. Our desire is to bring shalom, peace, to our community. To make it better, more beautiful in multiple ways, more peaceful, and bring joy. And then we get to Paul's application here, verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women... Now, the word translated true companion, at least in, in my Bible, uh, you'll probably find a footnote if it's translated something like that. And there is a, a strange 
uh, word, but it was actually a name, and it's Syzygus. Syzygus. I'm convinced that rather than Paul saying, yes, true companion, help these women, he, he had already used the women's name. Now he says, Syzygus, help these women. Otherwise, I think what would have happened is they'd have said, which one's he talking about as true companion? I'm his true companion. And somebody over here would have said, no, I'm his true companion. And then there'd have been another, another conflict. I think he was telling one of the people there, Syzygus, help these women. And so encouraged by Paul, he is, he's, he, he is encouraging a loving intervention for what's going on between them. Now today, for some of you, when you heard about Yodi and Syntyche, perhaps God brought somebody to your mind that you have had or have a conflict with. If that's the case, I think you should assume that it is uh, from God and that he is calling you to deal with that. Work through this. But for some of you, you're being called to be a true companion, to be a syzygous. You might be hesitant to intervene when you've seen conflict or somebody you know is going through conflict. You might say, well, that, that's... I don't want to be seen as meddling or that's none of my business. Well, here's the thing. As a believer in Christ, that means you're a part of the body of Christ. And if a part of the body is in conflict, it does affect you. It is your business. If God has put that on your heart, you need to follow through. You say... Oh no, that, that's going to lead to an awkward conversation. Yeah, you're right. Those are hard. I don't like being in those conversations. But if the church is really being the church, if we are really doing uh, what believers do and treating one another with love, there will be awkward conversations. They need to take place for us to be able to move on. If we're true peacemakers, those will take place. And that's what we are being called to be as a peacemaker. What if everyone here, everyone in this room and in the early service, everyone that's watching the live stream, every one of us, what if we went out and were peacemakers? What kind of an impact would that have on our, on our family, on our neighborhood, on our school, on this community? I'll tell you what kind of an impact. It would bring more shalom to our community, our family, and our school. It would make it better, more beautiful in multiple ways, more peaceful and bring joy.
Let's pray together. Lord, will you help us to do those hard things that you call us to do? To face up to those awkward conversations, but always do them in love. But to face them and do that with the strength of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.